Well, it's nearly Christmas already, uh, even in San Diego. I know you're shocked about that. And I love the season of, of, the, of the year. I love being around family. I love being around the church events. I love the cold temperatures in San Diego. I may even wear long pants this season. Brrr, you know what I mean? And uh, at the same time, though, as we look ahead, we're living in a pretty unique time, and we are a pretty unique generation. I look ahead with sober excitement as every prophetic theme in the Bible that tells me that Jesus is coming is on the stage today. At the same time, as an American, I have to admit, uh, we are facing some real problems, a lot of angry people in our uh, country these days. Uh, We're losing ground morally in a lot of ways, a lot of global and political threats going on. And here's some more bad news. The Supreme Court just ruled uh, all nativity scenes have to be removed from the Washington, D.C. government buildings. And they even gave the the reason. They could not find three wise men in Washington, (laughs) D.C. However, they did find a bunch of donkeys to fill the the stable, if you get my drift, you know. That's not fair. A little funny, honestly, though. It, uh, there are a lot of true believers in government, for which I'm very thankful, a very tough place to be, and I'm grateful for the work that they do and the holding back and being an influencer. We need, certainly need to pray for them. But it is my firm conviction that America needs a wake-up call and a return to the Lord. It will not bode well for America if revival does not come, and we should be praying for that definitely. Well, this morning what I wanted to do was tell you a story with a very obvious application. I'm going to begin reading in First Chronicles chapter 12. And I guess your habit here is to stand, right? When you read, let's, let's all stand together then. First Chronicles chapter 12, beginning in verse 1, where it says, Now these were the men who came to David at Ziklag while he was still a fugitive from Saul, the son of Kish. And they were among the mighty men, helpers in the war, armed <clears throat> with bows, each... Uh, using both right hand and left and hurling stones and shooting arrows with the bow. They were of the uh, Benjamin, Saul's brethren. Uh, Down to verse 8. Some Gadites joined David at the stronghold in the wilderness, mighty men of valor, men trained for battle, who could handle shield and spear, whose faces were like the faces of lions and were as swift as gazelles on the mountains. Verse 16. Then some of the sons of Benjamin and Judah came to David at the stronghold, and David went out to meet them and answered and said to them, If you have come peaceably to me to help me, my heart will be united with you. But if you, if you betray me to my enemies, since there is no wrong in my hands, may the God of our fathers look and bring judgment. Then the Spirit came upon Amasai, king of the captains, and he said, We are yours, O David. We are on your side, O son of Jesse. Peace, peace to you, and peace to your helpers, for your God helps you. Verse 23, Now these were the numbers of the divisions that were equipped for war, and came to David at Hebron to turn over the kingdom to him according to the word of the Lord. Okay, you can be seated. Let me set the scene and the background on the men that are described in these verses. Israel's first king was Saul, and Saul started okay on his reign, but went downhill quickly. He was weak and vengeful. He was disobedient. Remember, he went to a witch for guidance which prompted, ultimately, God removing him from his throne. 
David was God's choice. Remember, Samuel took the horn of oil and went and poured oil on David's head when he was a young man and whispered in his ear, one day you will be the next king, which launched David into his new life, his ministry, immediately faced Goliath. He eventually became the head of Saul's army and had great victories. And the greater David became, the more paranoid Saul became. He became obsessed with David, and then during a season of David's life, about ten years, chased him and tried to kill him, and David spent those years being a fugitive. Now during those years, David was the chosen and anointed king of Israel, but at that point he was the rejected king of Israel. He spent a long season enduring hard circumstances. But something interesting happened while that season was being lived out. The weirder Saul got, the more chaotic the kingdom became, and men slowly began to defect from Saul and his army and his leadership and began to join David in the wilderness in the days of his rejection. First it was a few men. And then it was tens and twenties and hundreds. And by the time David was eventually crowned in Hebron, it was a few thousand. And these defects, or these men who defected from Saul's army, became David's mighty men. Now these men were not saints. They had personal issues. Uh, most of them were in debt. Many of them had been in trouble. But they saw God's hand on David, and they joined him there in the wilderness, and a miracle took place. As they followed and fought with David, they were the ones that were transformed, and they became Israel's greatest fighting force in their entire history and did great exploits. Well, chapter 11 of 1 Chronicles is a list of those men. Uh, there are some from all the tribes in Israel. They joined and followed David in the days of his rejection. Verse 18, it says, They saw the Lord and David. They recognized that he was God's real chosen king. They were loyal to him, they loved him, and they fought for David and his kingdom before it was actually ever established in reality. But following David was not an easy thing. There were consequences. There were personal risks. It involved sacrifices. Your old life essentially was gone. You became like David, a fugitive. David lived in caves during this season. And they had to endure hardships with David, the true king of Israel. And on top of that, they inherited a very powerful enemy. Saul put a price on their head and a target on their back. And they fought long and hard battles, and some of them even died. Now, they were willing to endure all of that and fight for David for one simple reason. Because they knew one day very soon that God's true king would be seated upon his throne. And when he was seated, they would share in his kingdom. So this is a list then of heroes. Men who loved David, who fought with David, who served a rejected but true king of Israel. Now the application I think is very obvious. As a believer today, we are in much the same place as David's men. We are followers of Jesus Christ, Israel's chosen and anointed king. We are living in the days of, the, of his rejection as well. And yes, though the gospel is spreading through the world, Israel nationally has rejected Jesus Christ, and our world is becoming increasingly opposite and, and resistant to the gospel and to believers. 
More and more, we're seeing the church persecuted and going through difficult days. Well, just like in David's days, to follow Jesus Christ, to identify with him, though it's wonderful and freeing and salvation, it also is not easy. There are going to be consequences. To follow Christ, there would be risks. There'll be personal sacrifices. There'll be difficult choices to make. And there'll be hardships. You'll endure some difficult circumstances, and there are costs that come with following Jesus. You may lose a few friends. You may have some family members that will alienate you. You're going to inherit a very powerful enemy. There's going to be a price on your head and a target on your back. You're going to go through spiritual battles. All the time, or at times as a Christian, life can be a real challenge. But we do so for the very same reason they did. Because we believe one day soon that Jesus will return and he will be seated upon his throne and we will rule and reign with him and share his kingdom. So like David's men, we labor today. We fight and serve today for the glory of the kingdom of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, flip down to verse 32. It mentions one of the tribes, some of the men that also joined David, Uh, in his period down there in the wilderness. It says, Of the sons of Issachar, who had understanding of the times to know what Israel ought to do, their chiefs were 200, and all their brethren were at their command. Here is yet another group of men from one of the tribes, Issachar, that came down and helped David during the season of his rejection while he was running from Saul. And it provides, I think, some insight, and they display a mindset that I think that is instructive for us in the days that we're living in. It says the sons of Issachar had understanding of the times they were living in, and they knew what to do. Now let me define what that meant to these men in David's day. They understood their times. They knew that Saul's reign would soon be over. All the signs were there, and because they knew the word of God, that David was God's chosen king, that David was predicted to be the king, it was going to happen. And though in this day the circumstances said the opposite, they knew that David's kingdom was coming, and so their mindset was, life is temporary as it exists today, and we are seeing the big picture, we understand the times, and so we are going to be loyal to David. Then it says they knew what to do. In light of the soon coming of David's kingdom, they were wise to sacrifice now. They were wise to fight now, to join David. And rather than hide, rather than avoid the whole issue, rather than ignore the realities, these men doubled down. They, they left home. They got involved. They picked up a sword and they labored with and for David's kingdom because they knew it was coming soon. Now for you and I, those are wise words. Those are, that's the correct mindset for you and I as we face 2020. We should understand the times we're living in and we also should know what to do. So this morning, let me just briefly address some of these things as they apply to us in our day. Number one, we should be understanding our times. Christ is coming soon, uh, sooner than we think, I think. And as I look at 2020, here are some of the things that remind me and tell me uh, that Jesus is coming soon. Number one, I'm watching Israel. Now, Israel and their rebirth is the key sign in the Bible of Jesus' soon return. 
It's the one thing that makes our generation unique. All prophecy is connected to a reborn Israel. Israel is the epicenter of the end times events. It's no surprise then that all the prophetic themes will not work out unless Israel's back home occupying Jerusalem and along with Israel there, all the players are now on the stage. Israel was reborn, resurrected really, in 1948. It was really a miracle, sociological miracle. Those that uh, study such things realize there has not been an Israel for almost 2,000 years, and since then, everybody's waiting for the other shoe to drop. Reminds me of a tired salesman that, uh, after a long day and away from his family in a strange city, got home to his uh, hotel late at night and on the second floor, and he was so tired he just flopped on the bed and kicked off one shoe, and it made a big thud when it hit the floor. And he thought, oh, man, I probably shouldn't have done that. There's somebody below me, and I probably, you know, uh, woke them up or whatever. So he took the other shoe off and put it down quietly on the floor. Well, about 15 minutes later, there was a knock on his door, and he opened the door, and another tired, disheveled salesman, he said, would you please drop the other shoe? I've been going crazy waiting for it to hit the floor. (laughs) I think that's what our world is today. We're waiting for the other shoe to drop. I think most people sense there are ominous things on the horizon, and the major prophetic reality that we have seen in our days is the rebirth of the nation Israel. Well, what else tells me that uh, Jesus' kingdom is coming? Well, there's renewed talk today about uh, rebuilding the temple in Israel. Those of you who know Don Stewart is, he's written a number of books, and he, he does the radio show called Pastor's Perspective. And I uh, was talking to him recently, and there's a number of uh, uh, advances that are being made in rebuilding the temple in Israel. There's a temple institute in Jerusalem. You that have been to Israel know about this. Uh, all the furniture is ready for the next temple. All the implements are ready for the next temple. Uh, they're already training Levitical priests in the art and uh, practical realities of sacrificing. And, uh, and they are preparing for the rebuilding of the temple in Israel. Now, what's provocative about that is that Daniel and the book of Revelation tell us that there will be a temple in Jerusalem, and it will exist when Jesus returns. In fact, the Antichrist is going to use it and then desecrate it. So one of the things that should let us know that we're getting close to a kingdom change is uh, that the talk of that temple and preparations happening for it. You know, the Jews realize, I think, anymore, that no matter what they do, the world's going to hate them. Uh, They can try to, you know, be politically correct. They can give away land for peace, but they never get peace. They only get war. And even if they divide Jerusalem, uh, ultimately, they don't even, they're, they're still going to insist on a temple. And that's a very provocative thing in our day. Again, tells me that we're getting close to a kingdom change. Then if you've been watching the last month or so, uh, there have been recent elections in Israel. Uh, Benjamin Netanyahu uh, did not get reelected. There was sort of a tie in the electoral process there. He has been unable to form a government, so Benny Gantz is now trying to form a government, and it looks like he may not either, and so that may provoke yet a third election uh, in Israel. A lot of uncertainty going on in Israel today, but a lot of good things too. They just discovered a few years ago some natural gas reserves off Haifa, off the coast of Israel, and Israel essentially now is energy independent. 
In fact, now they're selling gas to their neighbors, to some of their European friends, which is angering Russia because Russia had the monopoly on that for many years. Then, of course, if you're watching the news, President Trump has been promising uh, to reveal his deal of the century, which is not another car deal, another building deal, but rather his Middle East peace plan. He's keeping the cards near to the vest, as it were, but he's got the whole world wondering and worried in some ways of what he's going to say and what he's going to stand for and support in what's happening in Israel. Now, he has been uh, probably one of the strongest supporters of Israel in the White House in many, many, many years. Uh, he recognized Jerusalem as the capital of Israel. Uh, he recognized the Golan Heights uh, as part of it. In fact, I was standing on the Syrian border the day he actually did that. It was so amazing to be looking at my phone, finding out that at that very moment, uh, Trump was recognizing the Golan Heights as part of Israel. And the Arabs are getting more and more nervous and certainly looking for an excuse to uh, provoke another conflict in the area. So uh, the Middle East continues to stand on a razor's edge. And in the last 60 days, if you follow such things, there's been a number of increased border conflicts between Israel and Syria, and now even Lebanon. For example, uh, Israel's done, in the last 60 days, five airstrikes in Iraq, but they're bombing Iranian weapons bases in Iraq. They're destroying them uh, before they can launch rockets into Israel and uh, endanger their people. Iran also has facilities in Lebanon, and this is kind of an interesting story. They have been refitting old rockets uh, from uh, Iraq, as I understand it, and uh, it, the Israelis captured a handful of Iranian drones, weaponized drones. They refitted them with their own technology and then flew them into Lebanon and bombed Iran's own bomb factories with them. How about that? But it happened to be the first military exchange in Lebanon since 2006, which risks in escalating uh, the region as well as involving Lebanon in the battle as well. Iranian forces are also becoming more aggressive in Syria. In fact, they fired uh, with some Russian anti-tank rockets into Israel just last month. So things are getting a little more tense in the Middle East. Something else that I'm watching that reminds me that there's about to be a kingdom change is I'm watching Russia, and not collusion, by the way. Um, when the Soviet Union broke up and began to diminish in its economy and its strength, uh, that's, that's really a thing of the past now. They've come back with a vengeance, and they are now a major player in the last day scenario. If you read, obviously, Ezekiel 38 and 39, it describes a alliance with Russia and a number of uh, Middle Eastern countries and some uh, Northern African countries that are, are predicted to attack Israel. And when that invading army attacks Israel, they're going to be destroyed by supernatural, by God himself. Well, recently, Russia has really emerged back on the scene to become much more aggressive. Now, those of you that have read the passage in Ezekiel 38 know there's a, a very important verse that describes that God said... In the last days, he would put a hook in the jaw, if you will, and draw Russia into the Middle East. And we've often, those of you that are prophecy students over the years, what in the world is God going to use to draw Russia into the Middle East? And here's the question that's been answered resolutely this morning. They're already there. They're in Syria. 
Now, they've got not only do they have uh, uh, six bases in Syria, but they have boots on the ground, and they're assisting the Syrian forces and others in the area, along with Iran, uh, to be a uh, not only power holder in the area, but u- ultimately, we believe, going to be an aggressor toward Israel. And just yesterday, maybe you caught this, uh, there have been joint exercises between uh, the forces of Turkey along with Russia, another predicted ally mentioned in Ezekiel 38 and 39. And that whole region is looking for an excuse uh, to be provoked and become more aggressive. Which reminds and connects with the third thing I've been watching that tell me that we are about to see a kingdom change. Iran, or ancient Persia, has been uh, in the headlines a lot lately. Now they're also mentioned in Ezekiel 38 and 39 as being an ally with Russia, and they will be a part of the force that's going to attack Israel. Maybe you didn't know this, but Iran used to be Israel's friend. In fact, in the 1940s, it was one of only uh, uh, one of the only friends Israel had in that region. In fact, it was the Iranians that helped Israel establish their nation in 1948. Well, they used to be friends, but no longer. Now they have nuclear ambitions. Uh, it's no secret that they want Israel destroyed. In fact, two years ago, the Ayatollah said. He called for the elimination, the annihilation of Israel and the Jewish people. Now, there are two things that make that prophetically significant. Number one, Iran is uh, Russia's ally. They have struck a deal uh, for mutual benefit, and Russia has promised to build two more nuclear facilities in Iran, uh, right in the face of the United States, and then six more uh, are in the works. There is a deep commitment between the Russian people and Iran. And then secondly, because Israel is famous for their preemptive strikes, Israel doesn't wait for somebody to arm themselves and then become a threat to them. Uh, they typically, when they sense a threat, they just send their warplanes over the border and uh, take them out before they can uh, hurt their own people, that itself could be the very hook that would pull the Russians and their allies across the border, and uh, that could be the hook itself. So if Iran were to attack Israel, that would definitely produce the events that are described in Ezekiel 38 and 39. Well, what else am I? Are you having fun? Are you smiling? Are you know, just all good? You know, more, more good news. The world at large also reminds me that we are about to see a kingdom change. Matthew 24, as it describes the last days, Jesus said it would be like the days of Noah. And there are a lot of ways that we are today very much like the generation that saw the world destroyed by the flood in Noah's day, one of which certainly is we become a very violent world. As God said, as he analyzed and looked at the people on planet Earth in those days, that the thoughts and intents of their hearts were only evil continually. Well, certainly you've noticed, like I have, that our nation, our world, has become a pretty violent place, unbridled violence. Our world has become a violent and heartless place. In fact, we watched on the news just last year when when they were playing that, that game in Philadelphia where they were punching people 
uh, you know, uh, blindsiding them. I mean, uh, and it's not just Philadelphia. My gosh, it's all over the, uh, it's in California, riots that are becoming violent and burning places. Ferguson, remember that, when the shooting took place there, they burn half the town down. And now communities are angry because these, you know, violent people are taking advantage of it and destroying their homes and their livelihoods. It's not just America, it's across the world what's happening. And finally, one other thing that reminds me that we're coming close to a kingdom change is the new technologies that we're seeing. And you say, well, what in the world does that have to do with prophecy? Well, Revelation 13 says the Antichrist is going to install and implement a global cashless society by means of a mark. Now, this is not new information, I'm sure. You've all heard of the mark of the beast. You know what blows my mind about that is the Bible predicts 2,000 years ago that there would be technology where you could put a mark on somebody's back of their hand or on their forehead and that that could implement the need or not no need for cash anymore. And today, it only makes sense. I mean, it's convenient, right? I mean, it would stop um, ID theft and all of that. Uh, electronic transactions make our lives so much easier. But I can remember walking into the grocery store in the 80s, and I, yeah, there were cars back in those days, if you're wondering, uh, <clears throat> and uh, when they first implemented grocery scanners, do you remember those? I thought to myself, oh my gosh, you know, there it is, oh my gosh, well that is so old anymore. Now from your phone right now, and if you're watching Facebook right now, shame on you, um, you know, you can sit in your phone in church right now and order stuff on Amazon, your iWatch can tell me, can tell you what your health is doing now, your blood pressure and all that, and, uh, and now this becoming much more common, certainly in Europe, and coming this way as well, people are implementing by putting digital chips into their hands and all of that uh, for ID in their dogs and now in human beings as well. Now let me clarify. The global government, the predicted events that are going to happen in this world before Christ returns and all that are are a reality that will happen for us after the rapture and will happen during the tribulation. I'm not afraid of barcodes or credit cards. I mean, your visa card is not the mark of the beast. It's very dangerous, let me just say, but not for that reason, let me just say. You know, a couple years ago I had a truck that had a license plate and the last three numbers were 666. And everybody said, Pastor Gary, you know, you got to get rid of that plate. And I go, no, no, I ain't scared. You know what I mean? Uh, I jam that right in the devil's face. I drive it proudly down the road. You know what I mean? But the reality is the predicted technology is here. One man said, we have invented the technology that has run beyond our morality. Our spiritual depravity has outpaced our technology, and if you put that tech in the wrong hands, the world is headed for trouble. Now look, the Internet is a tool. It can be a tool for exceedingly good purposes, and it can be a tool for exceedingly evil ones as well. At, At the right time, though, I believe it will be used for the wrong purpose. All right, back to the men of Issachar. Like them, we should understand the times that we're living in. There is a clear sense that the kingdom was about to change, and they believed David was going to take his throne in their lifetime. And it says they knew what to do. So the question then becomes, for you and I, what should we do? Well, if you don't know Christ personally this morning, then you should do this. You should recognize that you need a Savior. You don't want to stand before a holy God in your own righteousness. That is a bad plan. 
You need to recognize that you're a sinner. If you're not sure about that, ask your family or friends. or They will verify that for you. You are exceedingly imperfect, and you need a Savior. So what should you do? Well, first and foremost, you should make sure that you know Christ personally, that you have received Christ's forgiveness, and that you uh, want to follow him. And if you don't know for sure if you're going to, you know, that you have Christ as your Savior, then you should come up afterwards. Talk to me, talk to Tony, talk to some of the elders here. We would love to sit down to you, talk to you about what that means, how to receive Christ. We'll pray with you and make sure that you leave this service this morning knowing that you have a personal Savior in Christ. So that's the first thing I would do. Secondly, as a believer, as we are waiting for Christ to come and set up his kingdom, as it were, we should not be fooling around. We shouldn't be fooling around in drugs or alcohol or looking at pornography or living in some selfish behavior. And if that describes you as a believer this morning, let me just say, here's one very important biblical word, repent. Repent means to turn around and go the other direction. These are not days to be fooling around. These are days to be living for the Lord. So what did the sons of Issachar do? They joined David. They joined our Jesus, if you will. And rather than stepping back and fretting and ignoring all these things, they stepped up. They embraced the battle. Rather than stepping away, their commitment got deeper, and they were willing to fight and invest in the kingdom that will last forever. So what should you do in light of 2020 that is coming? Well, I would say stay ready. Be about your father's business. I would add sharpen your sword. Make a serious commitment to the Bible. Make sure you're reading your Bible, that you're learning and you're growing in your understanding of the Bible. Secondly, I would say you need to keep praying. Ephesians 5 says our weapons are connected to our prayer life, that we should be praying in the Spirit. It's what puts our weapons into action. It's what makes us effective as believers. Be praying in these days. And then thirdly, I would say get involved in the battle. As these days get closer to his return, you should be giving and contributing with your resources and abilities to labor for Jesus' kingdom. Bottom line, you want to make sure that you're investing in things that will last, things that are eternal. And there are really only two things that will live on after you die, and that's God's word and people. That always helps me. It helps me find, you know, prioritize my life. I need to invest my life in God's word and I need to invest my life in God's people. Let's all bow our heads and pray.